0: Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film.
1: left to Halloween so we can just nip under the wire with another
0: horrific video game movie. What is the film we're doing today? Well, we've covered many Capcom zombie video game movies with the Resident Evil franchise, but we're looking at their other zombie video game franchise with its first feature-length adaptation. It is Dead Rising Watchtower.
1: Mm. And I saw in some territories this is just called Dead Rising but uh, if we're calling it Dead Rising Watchtower, deal with it. <laughs> yes,
0: to differentiate from the sequel Dead Rising Endgame, which I guess we'll get round to at some point. Is that
1: the one of Captain America? Yes. Yes, the one of Captain America. Or um, there's Highlander Endgame as well with Connor McLeod. There's that Star Trek Voyager episode. The finale is called Endgame.
0: Or was it Samuel Beckett's?
1: Endgame. Just come up with different names. Anyway, there's not many films called Watchtower, so I think Dead Rising made a a good start at least. But yeah, my experience with the Dead Rising game was one of the earliest games for the Xbox 360, wasn't it?
0: Yes, I think the big selling point at the time was the fact that Xbox 360 and I suppose PlayStation 3 were HD consoles. And so one of the things that they demonstrated with their processing power with Dead Rising was the fact that you have so many characters or enemies or you know in this case zombies on screen at any one time. I remember the initial screenshots and footage for Dead Rising it was just wow you could see zombies as far as the eye uh, can see.
1: Yeah speaking of eyes though it was also a game with absolutely tiny HD text and that drew some quite serious complaints. And I remember getting it for my standard Death Telly at the time. And I think it was definitely one of the games which prompted me to finally upgrade. Because it was literally impossible to see what you're supposed to be doing. I believe the creators of Dead Rising did release a statement saying we're, we, we apologise for this. We're going to look into it. And a week later they said, and I quote... Um, they're going to have to do some DIY solutions. (laughs) I was like, okay, so binoculars? It seems ridiculous to me. But um, you're right, the big selling point of Dead Rising was just the sheer volume of zombies. And as we were both massive fans of George A. Romero, specifically um, his Dawn of the Dead, which is, of course, set in a shopping mall, it was just Dawn of the Dead the game, wasn't it? Uh, To the point where there's a... A bit of text on the video box. I said video box, but this is what happens when you move and shake in the world of video game movies. On the box for the game, it said that this product is in no way endorsed by um, George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, which was kind of spectacular. (laughs) I mean, there's loads of video games which rip off other films, but this, I think, was trying to head the zombie off at the pass.
0: I guess with George A. Romero having had past form with Capcom and Resident Evil, having written an original script for a Resident Evil movie and directed a commercial for the Resident Evil 2 video game, you'd think maybe he felt a bit sort of smarted by first they sort of take the zombie concept and yeah they're sort of honouring my stuff but this is the last straw.
1: (laughs) I don't know how many video games he played though so I could have Completely passed them by. It probably even drawed attention to itself, but hey ho! I think poor old Romero has never been a big uh, winner when it comes to the rights of his uh, zombie uh, media. He does not, or did not, own the rights to Night of the Living Dead, which is why you get to see so many people exploiting that film. But I've only got big time experience with Dead Rising One. Um, I got the demo, I think, for Dead Rising Two. And that just seemed a bit more expanded. The sort of thrust of Dead Rising 1 was you play a photojournalist called um, Frank West. I keep wanting to say Fred West, but that would be very different. But you are a photographer. You get extra points for taking photos of zombies. I think I read that. it's uh, They all have genres. One's for gore. There's one for, I think, erotica. If you take photos of, of Boobs and the crutch. It's a Japanese game. <laughs> and I think that other than the volume of zombies, the big thing was using anything you can find for a weapon, wasn't it?
0: Yes, it's definitely whatever you have to hand could be used as a weapon. So there was lots of creative ways to dispatch enemies, I suppose. In a big shopping mall, you have a lot of different stores with a lot of different products at your disposal. And then I think in later games, there was very much um, a focus on DIY making combination weapons, especially out of those bits and pieces that you scavenge around.
1: Yeah, and it could be anything from a rake tied to a dumbbell making a very heavy, I guess, weapon, which could rake leaves. (laughs) But I read also in Dead Rising 2, you could create a lightsaber by simply putting some,
0: I think, diamonds inside a flashlight... (laughs) <laughs> um, so... so that's what George Lucas just did. Yeah. Yeah. I think but yeah, I think this film came out the year before Dead Rising 4, uh which is at the moment the final Dead Rising game, which saw the original character Frank West return to the location of the first game, uh Willamette, but this time at Christmas. So it's a Christmas-themed zombie game. Um there was a Dead Rising 5 in development, but then the developers Capcom Vancouver was shut down in 2018, so at present, I think the franchise is dormant. But the events of this film take place somewhere, I believe, between Dead Rising 2 uh, and 3, and I think the uh, location of Dead Rising 2, Fortune City, also gets a name check in the movie.
1: Yeah, even though my knowledge of 2 and 3 is, is vanishingly small, I noticed one of the zombies was wearing the biker jacket your character wears in Dead Rising 2. Mm -hmm. So even then I was like, ooh, thrill. Um, (laughs) But yes, the big takeaway that this film has from Dead Rising 2 is a focus on combo weapons as well.
0: It's somewhat awkwardly, I think, not organically introduced into the film. I think it's, you know, you would expect in any of these kind of movies that people have to tool up and and uh, dispatch zombies in whatever creative ways uh, you have at your disposal. You look at something like Shaun of the Dead with its iconic cricket bat and its iconic vinyl record-throwing zombie dispatchment scene. You, remind, you know what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> you remind me of playing um, another fantastic Xbox zombie game, uh, Left for Dead, and its sequel Left for Dead 2. And Left 4 2, they introduced Malay weapons, mm-hmm. uh, including a cricket bat, which is very strange because it's set in the deep south. And I just wonder how many cricket teams are in the deep south. But, you know, if you're part of a Louisiana cricket club, do get in touch. I'd love to hear.
0: I think that maybe explains why Zombie U on the Wii U was set in London, because you get a cricket bat weapon in that. So maybe they made the whole thing around just... Cricket bats. Yeah,
1: you could use cricket bats, or croquet mallets, or badminton rackets. <laughs> um, you could just have a zombie walking around with two shuttlecocks stuffed into his eyes, not able to
0: see. Throw pims in its face. Yeah, but yes, uh, in the film, they all have to tool up and make these weapons, and it's something that happens in all these uh, kinds of movies. But it seems maybe it's just our knowledge of the video games and imposing itself on watching the film. I just felt like that whole notion of tooling up and stuff was a little bit uh, not very organically introduced into the film.
1: I don't know. I mean, shall we say spoilers for Dead Rising Watchtower? And I would say spoilers for Dead Rising the game, but I did not complete the game because famously it's a tough game and not really the gameplay is tough. It was more the saving mechanic. It's done in a sort of 70 hour clock, not in real time, thank God, but an hour of in-game time is still a hefty chunk of game. And it, it sort of has this clock system where only certain events happen at certain times. And you don't really know that at the start. And of course, the HD mini text doesn't help. So you'll be walking around encouraged to kill as many zombies as possible. And then you get a little pop-up notification which says, so-and-so has died. You failed this mission before you even knew it began. And you're like, huh. And I think if you died, you had to go back to a save point and the save points were very few and far between. You'd have I don't even think there was any fast travel. You had to sort of march all the way back to an upper room to save. And if you died, you had the option of, going back to your save point or starting the game again. So the first game had a lot of potential, but I think to complete it, you would definitely need a manual. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there like a T-Rex and Toy Story 2 with his like, you can't complete the game without the manual sort of thing. So anyway, spoilers for the film, because that is only two hours long.
0: <laughs> yeah, two hours is... A bit of a heftier runtime than I was expecting. Yeah. Um. There's certainly quite a lot of plot, I suppose, in this film. And in a way, that is a sort of welcome surprise. Because going in, I, I was sort of thinking, well, this kind of movie, it looked a bit like a zombified version of Sharknado. It was a a Crackle original. Do you know what Crackle is?
1: Um, well, this is my first Crackle original, so... It's a it's an American streaming service, I think. I think I tried I've been trying to watch Star Trek <laughs> which uh Star Trek Lower Decks, which is only available in America at the moment. And I've tried every streaming service under the sun, and I thought I had made some headway with Crackle, but then it reminded me that I'm a Brit. So I couldn't.
0: I don't know how much original content they've really put out. I think they've made one or two Movies aside from the Dead Rising Watchtower and Dead Rising Endgame. And this was also a production of Legendary Digital. But yeah, my expectations were not especially high when it comes to streaming original movies like this.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of annoyed, actually, because we've done a few films lately, like Mortal Kombat Scorpions Revenge, like Silent Hill... Where I think I'm just going to sit down for an uncomplicated 90 minutes. And this, I was expecting to have just 90 minutes of creative zombie destruction. And for flip's sake, there is loads of layers in this film. (laughs) It has something to say. It is longer than I expected. And I checked my watch when there was... I checked my watch at about the hour mark, and I was like, oh, there's an hour to go. Will it sustain the second hour? It's not as action-packed second hour, I think, but, 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 this is not a dumb movie. And yes, you're absolutely right. You see a Crackle original, you see a zombie horror film, which are very, they seem to be kind of very cheap, down-and-dirty horror films to make. Um, I didn't realise they were making Dead Rising games. As recently as 2018 or so. So it seemed like they were going way back to pick up like a, like a like an undead
0: license.
1: But here we are. I think we've got quite a lot to say, but we're going to try and keep it as succinct as possible.
0: Yes, uh, just before we head into Watchtower, it is notable to say there has been a Dead Rising adaptation before by the actual creator of the game, Keiji Inofune, there was a Japanese live action episodic online series called Zombret's Dead Rising Sun. It is available on YouTube. I did try and watch it, but I really gave up all hope about 30 seconds in. The dubbing is astronomically abysmal. (laughs) This is definitely very low budget, I had to just skim through it because it was just really annoying me.
1: Was it the acting that was bad as well?
0: I think it was predominantly the dubbing. It was incredibly cheaply, poorly made. It had some interesting concepts in that some of the action takes place POV. Uh, One of the main characters is in a wheelchair and they turn their wheelchair into a sort of death machine with flamethrower and saws and blades all attached to it, but yeah, I would not necessarily recommend putting out of it because it is pretty abysmal. It's notable in that one of the characters is played by Kiyohiku Shibukawa, who I recognise from a bunch of Japanese indie movies. Most recently there was a short called Day of Destruction by Toshiaki Toyoda, which I recommend seeking out if you can. And I also saw that one of the cast members appeared in Biohazard the Stage, Mm. the Resident Evil theatrical production I saw in Tokyo, which I guess is a discussion point on a future Resident Evil episode, i say. This is Chase Carter, not a zombie in sight. Any time now. Now many of those abandoned here are people infected with the zombie virus. They depend on the tents behind this fence and the drugs inside to, quite literally, remain human.
1: I thought you injected it! I think
0: We're talking about a zombie outbreak here. Yes, but what does that mean? It means... You're basically f***ed. That's great. This is a serious situation, but there's no need to panic. Hey, watch the road. We now count down the hours to the inevitable firebombing.
1: You gotta get me out. i fire firebomb tomorrow.
0: The quarantine is sealed. There's nowhere to go. They're gonna burn everyone. We don't know that they're gonna burn anyone.
1: <laughs> we need some kind of plan. <laughs> First thing you want to do is take out as many as possible. Grandma.
0: Grandpa, too. Remember to build weapons. Lots of weapons. Kids, uh, don't build weapons. Okay. <laughs>
1: In three, two, one. One of the things I think this film does successfully is is manage what is obviously a lower budget than a lot of the bigger mainstream zombie movies. But before
0: we go too much further into the film, shall we read the plot? Sure. I have a synopsis from uh, the back of the DVD box. And it reads, based on the worldwide video game phenomenon. It's always a worldwide video game phenomenon. It doesn't matter what game it was and how successful or well-known. It's always a worldwide video game phenomenon. Does it mean the entire world? Does it mean North Korea? I guess just worldwide. It can be just one point that it's known and mm. another point that it's known and it spreads the... Width yeah, of the world. Like one of those
1: dudes make a world sandwich by putting one piece of bread in one hemisphere <laughs> and another piece of bread on
0: the other hemisphere. It's like, world sandwich, dude. Yeah. From the producers of Mortal Kombat Legacy and the Transformers film franchise, Dead Rising Watchtower takes place during a large-scale zombie outbreak, when a mandatory government vaccine, Zombrex, fails to stop an infection from spreading across the city Four unlikely survivors must evade the zombie horde whilst at the same time discover the root of the epidemic. All signs point to a government conspiracy. Their perilous, action-packed journey to escape and uncover the truth forces them to question what they're willing to do to survive, and ultimately, their own sense of humanity.
1: I don't know if it does that (laughs) at the end, Um, but I'm very glad that I didn't read the synopsis, because I've said this before, I love going into these films with, um, I know I came in here with low expectations, but I do always come with, with an open mind, I'm not going to dismiss something out of hand, and <laughs> there is some government conspiracy, but because I'm such a, a sweet summer child, I like literally wrote in my notes halfway through, gosh, Gosh, is this a, a film where, like, the military coming into a situation makes things better? Because Dennis Haybert, he of 24, he plays General Lyons, but I read after... Oh, yeah, lying, Lyons. Yeah, I thought he was coming in, taking control, but God damn it, they were behind it all.
0: <laughs> and, I, and I just write, I wrote here, why am I so stupid? Why am I so gullible? <laughs> I suppose it helps in the casting of Dennis Haybert because of his role as david palmer in 24 that he fills you with confidence mm. and he's very you know he's like the good guy in a way of the seasons i don't know does he get bad after future seasons i'm not too sure it all so gets he, confusing he plays
1: the president in the first season of 24 um or no presidential candidate and then he becomes spoilers of 24 but he becomes president <laughs> um and then he he provides, again, a sort of this very presidential quality throughout. So, yes, when you see him, he just gives you this real feeling of reassurance. And he's a baddie. Yeah. He's a baddie. But as I was saying, this film, like a repeated line of dialogue, especially at the start of the film, when we are meeting the main character, a journalist called Chase Carter. He doesn't look like a genuine American newscaster. I mean... <laughs>
0: Well, he's sort of like the host of a digital media news outlet. So his character is previously a a proper journalist, as it were, reporter. And now he's sort of languishing in the sort of digital doldrums. So maybe he's more of your, I don't know, shock jock, news on the ground. Not quite Infowars style thing, but I guess that's what they're kind of going for. I think if this film was made just a
1: couple of years later, he would be very much like... You couldn't redo really that character without inciting info wars, but I think at this moment the outsider could still be like a good guy. I don't know. We're going to get into like news, fake news debates now, but I, this is what I, I'm saying. Just to repeat, just to go back to what I was saying a moment ago, a repeated line of dialogue is something like, "Do you trust the government? Do you think the government's response is appropriate?" And we're sitting here when the hot button topic of 2020 is whether the government's response to Viruses and things, or the response to any sort of emergency, is called into question, and you know, you just don't get that in a zombie movie. Usually,
0: uh, yeah, I suppose good zombie movies always have some sort of uh, treaties about, you know, society or government or.
1: We are the Walking Dead,
0: Rory. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> a good one will have some themes going on, you know, whether it's subtext or whether it's more explicit. I think Garth Moranji's saying, subtext for cowards. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Submarine text is the sailors. That's very true. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, this is a film which quite upfront grapples with these sort of uh, government conspiracy or big pharma and military intervention, people on the ground, expendable population, quarantine zones... Some of it is just pure window dressing, like there's one person holding up a God Hate Zombie sign, like of yeah. uh, the Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah, same font and colour scheme yeah. and everything. That was a bit of fun. <laughs> so, you know, it's cute, I suppose. And, but, you know, the main thrust of the story is trying to uncover what's behind the, uh, the epidemic.
1: There's a few things to set this apart from the horde of zombie films that I've seen. Um, we always talk about Romero because of his political commentary. Again, a couple, one thing which makes this film really unique is this whole concept of Zombrex. It's very rare to have zombie films which are sort of set distantly after a zombie outbreak or, or, or after a zombie outbreak. And so now people who have been bitten can still live healthy lives as long as they access this product called Zombrex it comes in these things which look like insulin pens.
0: And as a diabetic, I was like,
1: ooh, (laughs) ooh, representation, zombies. You're going to
0: get a Zombrex branded insulin pen next time.
1: (laughs) But I just found that really interesting. There was a a wonderful, short-lived BBC show called, I think, In the Flesh, um, which deals with, I think the central character was a zombie and now he's back to being human. He looks very pale, but he's living with in this small community and everyone knows he's eaten a bunch of the people in the community (laughs) and so it was nice to see that sort of thing again here because it really deals with the stigma of having an infectious disease it brought to mind you know things like the aids epidemic and like even as speaking as a diabetic even like a very sort of manageable condition brings with it all sorts of stigma people with sort of type 2 diabetes, you know, people always assume they got it because, you know, they're overweight or bad at eating eating, but it, there can be many other factors. And it also obviously creates this tension when you can't get your dose. I think the whole plot of uh, Dead Rising 2 revolves around a dad trying to get hold of Zombrex for his kid and, you know, it's all he's getting money for it and things like that. And um, this plot, the, the plot proper kicks off when um, a batch of Zombrex goes wrong and repeatedly throughout my notes I'm writing is it? Is it just a faulty batch? Was it planted? Uh, turns out it was the army which put the bad batch there but there's still a lot of mystery about how this happened and I really enjoyed the investigation of um, Chase. I mean that's another through-line of Dead Rising 1. He is a photojournalist. He is gaining evidence. He's a freelance photojournalist. So I feel this manages to quite successfully thread a lot of what makes Dead Rising, Dead Rising into the film.
0: Yeah, and I think the the whole Zombretts angle with these survivors of zombie bites, you know, using that to maintain their humanity and their condition... You get a couple of key characters with that experience. You get the character of Crystal who is uh, a survivor and has to administer her Zombrets and when this whole city is put into lockdown as a result of this outbreak she is running low on her Zombrets supply and she has being able to continue to administer a good batch of Zombrets because she hasn't used the government supply that was um, given to everyone. But there's a bit of tension then with that character and other human characters maybe not trusting her just in case, you know, if she doesn't get her dose, she'll turn at any point. And then you also have uh, the character of Maggie, who, um, when she is first encountered by our other heroes, She has just freshly dispatched her own young daughter, who was a previous zombie bite victim. I think she's telling her story later on. And her husband left because he holds her responsible for her daughter being bitten by a zombie during an initial outbreak. And this was only when her child was... A baby. I think they mentioned, like a zombie bite in the crib. Oh, yeah. And um, the way you know she tells the story is very sort of sad and heartfelt. And the fact that she then, when the bad Zombrets batch, uh, you know, makes everyone zombified again, she has to kill her daughter and she spends the rest of the film shell-shocked, thinking her mm. daughter is still alive, even though she stabbed her in the head with a penknife.
1: That might, scene alone might to have justified the two-hour runtime. <laughs> Not saying that's a half-an-hour-long runtime, but I guess when you get a film which goes two hours, sort of ninety minutes, is what we often do. We have a few more sit-down scenes and a, and a bit more character growth. Um, speaking of characters, though, and speaking of previous zombie apocalypses, my ears pricked up when I heard, "Oh, they mentioned Frank West," and I thought. Oh, they, they're mentioning the character from the game. So, I mean, we were introduced to Chase and so I automatically assume, oh, this is just Red Dead Rising and all but name and potentially tone. But we discover that um, Frank West's entire video game experience happened in the universe of this film and the mall from the, from the game and Fortune City from the sequel are both name-checked and to my great surprise the character of Frank West is a is a frequent contributor to the film's conversation because we have repeated scenes with the news station i forget its name um but they are talking about the zombie outbreak and he's a uh, he's basically the talent he's the contributor
0: yeah having had first hand experience he um i guess that he's it's sort of like peppered throughout the film to not not sort of contribute anything useful in terms of plot, but just to sort of spur along the energy of the film and add some comic aside. So Frank West is played by uh, comic actor and comedian Rob Riggle, who I guess if you've watched any sort of Hollywood comedies over the past 10 years, he's probably made a few appearances mm. in them. And he's talking about his experiences of the sort of first game and his book How to Survive a Zombie Outbreak, which... They flash a cover of the copy, and it's the cover of the video game. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Hang on, I did a double take there."
1: Yeah, I would. I wrote in my notes that these scenes were always highlights. They weren't always good. Sometimes the jokes fall flat, but they help break up the film. And I don't. I've, I know I've mentioned the like length a few times. If you took them out, the film would probably run under ninety minutes. But I think it stops the film feeling. I think it, well, it just expands the scope actually, because. I guess the reason why this is not a straight adaptation of the first game is that whereas George A. Romero of Dawn of the Dead was able to film in a shopping mall in the middle of the night, I kind of feel this film didn't have the budget to orchestrate that in in the mid to... to, What do you call these years? The teens? (laughs) I guess so. Mid-teens. I think if you look at the locations used in this film, they are kind of, I think, clearly shot a lot on on, on backlots is what I was trying to say on backlots and there's a warehouse and you know both cheapest chips um locations but I think that gives them the freedom not only in terms of what they could do cinematically but also with the plots you're not again Frank West's um what he did in the game is really just going back and forth up and down the shopping mall so it does get a bit repetitive But yeah, I I mean, it's a bit strange. It's a bit like making a Super Mario movie where Mario spends the whole time sort of talking about what a completely new character is doing.
0: (laughs) This other new plumber, he doesn't have any of the cojones. Yeah, exactly. Cojones is a Spanish word.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He can say other languages. He speaks English most of the time. I think they took a gamble and I feel that it paid off. I was happy to see Frank West in his iconic uh, leather jacket. He's got big white shirt underneath he looks like Harry Hill he looks like Harry Hill <laughs> uh, imagine if Harry Hill and the zombie apocalypse I'd love to see that yeah so I just thought it worked I liked it
0: yeah I saw a brief strand kind of like talking heads with some of the creatives about their idea of transferring the game to the screen and that's always something that we look at quite a lot obviously with talking about lots of video game movies But the director of this, Zach Lipovsky, prior to this, he was probably best known for Leprechaun Origins. Have have you seen any Leprechaun movies?
1: I have not, but I am aware that, like um, Endgame, Origins is used quite a lot. (laughs) I try to avoid anything with the word Origins in, so I refuse Orangina. I don't like (laughs) to drink that. Um, So, yeah, it's a bit tired. Um, Why haven't I watched them? I don't want to taint Warwick Davis. I suppose <laughs> I, I think Origins though does not feature him. It's like a a little wrestler. Haven't they leprechaun films? No, I think the leprechaun films are now owned bizarrely by WWF or or something. Okay, I'm not talking about the worldwide yeah you know, the world
0: wide fund for nature. World wide fun for nature. <laughs> well, I don't know. Do leprechauns fall under their purview as are they wild? Are an magical species? Yeah. yeah, are magical creatures considered wildlife or I is
1: that? Know. It seems risky to sponsor a leprechaun because you, you give one piece of gold and then all your gold's gone and then they have <laughs> your name. Now I'm thinking of Rumpelstiltskin. I'm, I apologize to the Rumpelstiltskins out there for conflating you with a leprechaun. Anyway, we're a bit off topic.
0: <laughs> um, but actually, speaking of magical creatures, I think quite a few of the cast members also appear in Once Upon a Time, the ABC fairy tale series. And I think. It seems to be the case that if a film is filmed in Canada in the past 10 years, it will probably feature several cast members from <laughs> Once Upon a Time. That's just how it rolls.
1: Yeah, I did look through the IMDb cast list and did note that there were quite a few. And I think the one, the only actress I recognised, uh, I believe she plays Belle in Once Upon a Time, but I know her mostly from Final Destination 2. Do you have the name of the actress? Oh, uh,
0: Keegan-Connor Tracy as Jordan?
1: Yeah, she's got some serious eyebrows. <laughs> but um, Final Destination 2, aka the best Final Destination, aka the one with that motorway smash-up, which haunts me to this day, <laughs> it was just great to see her still in, in a film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the most notable cast member, I'd say maybe most famous, Famous is Virginia Madsen, who plays Mother Maggie, as we mentioned before, who's, uh, I guess, best known in the horror circles oh, for Candyman.
1: No, I can't believe I didn't spot that. I love Candyman so much. Oh. Oh. Gosh, Ness, you are right. She's a fantastic actress, and I suppose that's why her performance, talking about her dead daughter, struck a chord with me.
0: It's, yeah, it kind of stands... It's not that other people are doing necessarily bad work, but no. I appreciated the fact that this film allowed people to perform.
1: Yeah. It's like when you go to a, a shitty-looking restaurant, and got, it's like, oh, this was really nice, actually. <laughs>
0: yes yes it is uh, okay listen we we need to go now now
1: my daughter oh, Jesus Christ did she bite you you try. Come on! Try. <laughs> Come on! No, 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 no! We need to
0: leave now. We need to leave no. now. Give me the keys. No. Give me the keys! Go! No. Go! I suppose though the lead of the film, the character chase character, is played by Jesse Metcalf. Who is probably best known for Desperate Housewives and John Tucker Must Die? Um, more recently, he was in the reboot of Dallas. Uh, he was in some, I think, straight to streaming, but then everything's straight to streaming nowadays. Yeah. Action film with Bruce Willis called Hard Kill. That's as much as I need to know. I think
1: they use fridge magnets now to title action films and <laughs> they would just swish them around. they got Hard, they got Kill. They got target. They got. I'm gonna say tight, tight target.
0: Uh, but um, tight action. I think I think Edgar Wright came up with some funny Steven Seagal movie mm. names, and I think the funniest one was Hard for Justice. <laughs> yeah,
1: I can absolutely. I was absolutely <laughs> submit that to Steven Seagal, and he would absolutely take it.
0: <laughs> but probably most notably and recently, Jesse Metcalf. Uh, spoilers for this current season of Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> he was eliminated a couple of weeks ago.
1: Oh man!
0: We made it to week four. That's pretty good going.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a ballerina zombie in this towards the end. There's, <laughs> there's a few fun zombies, that, again, I feel having grown up with the Romero films, I like a zombie with a, with a, with a gimmick. Uh, we encounter a clown zombie quite early on. And that's a thing which has been done before, most notably in zombie land. But there's a moment where Chase presses his pistol right against the zombie's nose, and it goes like, ho, ho. <laughs> and I enjoyed that. I think the zombies in this... I mentioned this before. We see a lot of zombies on this podcast. I think these were great zombies. I thought they had great... They had good acting, good zombie acting. They committed... And there wasn't so much distracting makeup because these are all relatively fresh zombies. When you get infected or when the infection takes hold, when you've not got your Zombrex, the first thing which happens is you kind of cough up a load of blood, which means you immediately have the bloody zombie effect and you don't suddenly turn into like a 2,000-year-old corpse (laughs) in the space of a few minutes.
0: Well, you quickly pop in a couple of contact lenses so people know you're evil. Exactly. Exactly. And they have residual feelings and actions based on who they were, which is something you see in other zombie films. And in this interview, I saw the creatives. They were talking about how that sort of element came about in Dead Rising 3. Mm -hmm. I think so similarly with the clown zombie. There's a cop zombie who starts firing his gun randomly at Chase. Uh, There's a zombie construction worker who's standing in the road still holding a stop sign and brandishing that around so those little things they create cute little gags on top of the usual blood and guts
1: i think it works on two levels as well because there's something creepy about there being something left of you i think the completely brain-dead zombie just going in one direction you think that ain't so bad because there's nothing left of the person but yeah, I think it's quite sad that this one person's going to be a zombie for his whole life. That is, of course, until he's decapitated by his own van. Uh, I think he's called Bonzo the Clown. He has, he has a short, sweet life as a deadly deadly zombie. Um, one The only thing I found a bit weird about the zombies in this film, and perhaps you can help me out here, I got the impression that it was one batch of Zombrex, which was bad, from this one stadium location where we start the film but after our heroes escape in this this brilliant little um, outbreak sequence there's zombies right throughout the city (laughs) i just didn't know how the zombies had spread when they are slow zombies
0: i think it's the fact the city has been in lockdown for a while and people are waiting to get out so it seems like all the zombrettes the bad zombrettes which everyone has been taking is being administered by the government in this lockdown, which has been going on for days. Yes, we start in a
1: lockdown. Okay, because there's been some detections.
0: Yeah, so it's all in lockdown and people are running out, so government have brought in their own batches on Brett's, but this is a bad batch.
1: I haven't used the phrase lockdown so much <laughs> in all my life until this year.
0: Well, this is actually our first recording together in the same room. Yes. For about 10 episodes, since it's all kicked off. Yes,
1: we, we happen to be in a different room. So if our audio is a bit strange, that is why.
0: It actually probably doesn't sound as good as it did when we were apart, but... Yeah, we'll see.
1: So this outbreak I mentioned, it's not the true start of the film. We do get, a, again, one of those pointless in-media-res scenes, which is just a chunk of the middle action sequence transplanted to the start of the film. That's when we first meet um, Bonzo, the clown and the cop. But the outbreak action sequence, that really made me realise we're in for something a bit special here because I think the camera work in this film is great. It still has that sort of cheap-looking digital director video look, but the camera is constantly in motion. There's some really... It reminded me of Edgar Wright and Sam Raimi where we would have the camera attached to weapons as they strike or we had lots of iron sights on guns which reminds me of things like Call of duty and there's even sequences when i think jordan who is chase's camera person she's put into a quarantine sort of tent and the camera just tracks her into the tent and then goes right down to the bottom of a zipper as a zip reaches the bottom and like that's that's sweet. That's some good stuff. It keeps you interested.
0: My main thought about that, though, was she has been put in quarantine and the zip comes down. But it is just like a little tent and it's like, oh, I can't get out. The zip is on the other side. I know, well, that would vex <laughs> me, you know, knowing my stuff.
1: I'm frequently going places with the buttons done up wrong on my own coat. <laughs> I don't know who was behind the action, but I thought it was clear. It was good. It was well choreographed. And you said that the weaponry stuff felt a little bit sort of shoehorned in. I didn't necessarily think so. I was too happy with the fact that it had the stuff from Dead Rising. It had the weapon combinations. It had loads of zombies. It had this photojournalism or just journalism threads. If I, were, I mean, I'm, I'm like a pretty casual Dead Rising fan, but I was very happy with what I was getting.
0: I guess the standout sequence chase is followed by the camera in this, I say one shot take, but there is...
1: There's no such thing as a one shot take anymore. No. They use CGI uh... to merge them. Yeah. You go full on to somebody's bum for a split second, then you're out the other side and then you take.
0: Yeah. And that happens here. And I think the whole shot lasts about three to four minutes. But, you know, even though it's not the most creative set of sequences it's still like an interesting thing that they decided to do following this one character different points through the street encountering different kinds of zombies using different weapons climbing into a school bus going out the door climbing on top climbing on top of a car jumping down you know a film like this doesn't have to do that and maybe it's not the most expertly realised sequence but it's like oh well you know
1: you made an effort and Yeah, we've seen so many films when the camera is just on a track and
0: it goes left to right and or it's static one you know shot reverse shot conversations yeah
1: and I think this is also a, this um, film also has some just great zombie gore and some great just effects I think it's been ages since I've gone uh, at a film but we get a point where we see <laughs> I think there's an establishing shot of the porn shop that they all find themselves in. That's P-A-W-N. They don't emerge from the porn shop with like dildos and smash people around the heads with them for shame. Um, but we see this establishing shot of the porn shop and there's a zombie walking along eating something which looked like a nose bag. But then we realised, oh, they've got a like baby harness on their front and they're eating from... They're just eating the baby's head like it's a uh, feedback. And I think we both went, oh, that's nasty.
0: Yeah, that is definitely bad father-child mm. interaction.
1: I mean, there's a, a wonderful short film which then got turned into a full-length film with Martin Freeman called Cargo, where he's got a baby carrier on his back as he's turning into a zombie. So... I guess that's just some life advice there. If you don't want to your to eat your baby's head in the event of a zombie outbreak, put him around the back.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't encourage yourself. Apart from the zombie outbreak, the main reason our characters need to try and escape the city is because there is a military order that the city will be firebombed within 48 hours.
1: Yeah, I was wondering, does it really take 48 hours to get like firebo- to firebomb a city? Maybe I'm just used to Uber and um, Just Eat and things coming in like half an hour. But I'm like, I'm sure I could order firebombs in more than 48 hours. I thought American military is ready to go.
0: It's, you know, giving people a chance to say their prayers. I
1: did enjoy how the news, the news service we kept jumping into had a firebomb countdown clock, which seems really tacky, but would absolutely happen. Oh, God, yeah. Mm. Although it did make me wonder how long Frank West and the newscaster were sat there because they seemed to be sat there for like for the full 48 hours, like for no breaks or anything. I wasn't paying attention to whether or not the news anchor was changing her clothes, but F- Frank West wasn't.
0: You know, he just has like an inexhaustible supply of black suits, white shirts. Yeah,
1: he's like Jeff Goldblum. He's just got these, all these leather jackets all ready to go. Or Harry Hill, oh, Harry Hill, like I said. <laughs> there is all this activity outside the quarantine zone. The, this, these military people, they only come in after Jordan is butting heads with the head of FISA, uh, who is, which is sort of the health organisation responsible for Zombrex and for all these lockdowns. And um, I think the, our main interaction is with a dude called Norton. Again, not expecting this. You meet him first time, he's an asshole. And he's just saying, he's kind of using the rhetoric that we're hearing a lot in the modern world today, where he's saying, yes, million, you know, loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of people are dead, but our quarantine is perfect now or our lockdown has worked. There's a great line when Jordan just storms in and he goes, like, get the hell out of my tent, which made me <laughs> crack up. He's just a bureaucrat. But of course, once the Penny starts to drop. I mean, he's aware that the military have been trying to get these sort of Zombrex administrative chips, which gets put into your body and is meant to administer Zombrex for a year. They've been, the American military have been trying to do this for years, and the, and Norton is aware of this. The army keeps failing in getting this pushed through. And so when it starts, he realizes, oh gosh, if there's a if there's another desperate outbreak happening that will be all the leverage they need so he sort of becomes well he doesn't change as your interpretation of him changes so again my brain is being asked to do things it doesn't want to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you know there's a, there's a scene when Dennis Habert, General Lyons he throws Norton under a bus because of his mishandling of the situation and we find out later that is the army which sort of created the situation.
0: It's a very unprofessional thing to do at a press conference. Hell I, yeah! <laughs> just to say, well, you know, this quarantine wouldn't have happened if it, if military were on the case and we were doing our job.
1: I know, it's, it's quite, again, it's like all this cool little uh, tension. Dennis Haber says you're knee, we're knee deep in shit on a newscast and I'm like, that's not professional. They use the S-word a lot on the news, and that's just that's just not allowed.
0: I think they have a couple of fucks allowed on the news and then the rest are bleeped. Did I get that right? I don't think that's I mean not talking about news in general, that's like permitted. You're allowed two F-bombs every cycle of 24 hour news.
1: I know that Hobbs and Shaw, that Fast and Furious movie which came out recently, managed to sneak two F-bombs under the wire by having Jason Statham and Dwayne Johnson say the F word at exactly the same time. So we technically had two, but they were talking <laughs> over each other, which was kind of smart.
0: Frank, what advice do you have for those trapped inside the quarantine zone?
1: Turn off your televisions, put down
0: your phones and run for your goddamn life. Run where? The quarantine is sealed. There's nowhere to go. What the hell are you talking about? Fine. Let me
1: tell you something. Read my book. Oh, Jesus. Chapter five. I specifically tell you, you can't worry about technicalities, okay? Screw the rules. You got
0: to improvise. Think on your feet. Use what you can. When you can, where you can. Maybe they shoot you down like a dog. Maybe they don't. But I'll tell you one thing. Talking to us ain't going to help you at all.
1: But. This creates the ticking clock, as you said, and so our heroes can't just wait this stuff out, they have to get outside, they also have to get Crystal some working Zombrex, they need to bust this thing wide open, and sort of storming into this all is a biker gang. A biker gang! Now this seems a bit odd to have, but I think this sort of looting thing... Is again not only from Dawn of the Dead, but it also features, I believe, in Dead Rising. You can't have the boss be just a zombie, <laughs> 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 which you've killed like a hundred times already. So we, I think, you often get these human uh, guys fucking up shit. For a minute, I thought they had only appeared in the last sort of six hours. Um,
0: yeah, they've sort of gone feral very quickly. Yeah. If it's just like. There's oh, electric scooters <laughs> this half is, an hour ago. There's a zombie outbreak quick. Everyone get on the face paint and mm. sort of dress like Mad Mats yeah. and start getting tattoos and scary places. Ooh. Yeah.
1: I thought for a minute that's that's just what happened. It got This escalated quickly. But I remembered that at the start, we do get a bit of exposition via the news. And it mentions banker, biker gangs. Not banker gangs, going around like <laughs> robbing banks. Eat the rich. <laughs> no, they um, have been doing this some time. And I think this is another reason why the extended runtime helps. We learn a bit about why the lead biker is how he is. Now, I haven't got his name. Logan. Logan I just wrote LB, lead biker, throughout this. <laughs> but Logan, he has this sort of speech where he talks about how He's just found the one thing he's good at, really. He's just, he was just like an accountant. He had all his dreams crushed, but here he can be king. And um, he's learned that in the zombie outbreak, he can be like the leader. And he has a plan to blow open the wall of the lockdown quarantine wall and let all the zombies out and be a king, be the king of the world. Yeah, who died and made him king of the zombies. <laughs> exactly. Uh, again, I just really appreciated it. He's not the lead biker, Logan. He's not approaching the level like Vernon Wells from Mad Max 2, the bare-cheeked, scree- shrieking uh, motorcyclist. But he does bring a, a sort of delicious energy to it, and he makes that second hour watchable. <laughs> Good for him. Good
0: for him. He looks a little bit like a very muscular Bruce Springsteen. With, like, a chevron painted on his face. Like, someone drove over Bruce Springsteen with a truck and the tyre tracks have kind of smushed his head. Yeah, do you
1: think they spent ages trying to get their apocalyptic look just right? I'm sure they did. Let me just
0: try chevrons. Chevrons, is it? It's like Drag Race where they have the sort of big light bulb mirrors and they're all sort of doing their makeup just before they do the big, um, I don't know, bike gang looting that they are looking forward to that evening. (laughs) And Logan is portrayed by Alex Pornovic, who we may see, if we cover it, in In the Name of the King 2, and portrayed Shao Kahn in Mortal Kombat Legacy from the same producers.
1: Oh, well, you you know, I did enjoy him, so I'll I'll sample him again, quite (laughs) quite happily. (laughs) Now, I think... Our heroes, they discover there's a big batch of Zombrex in this warehouse. Um, Again, I think this is due to a concert between the outside and inside photojournalists. And so they go to this warehouse and wouldn't you know it, the warehouse is being used as a base by this biker gang. And they discover one of the gang chained up, already a zombie. So they know quite quickly this is probably a bad batch. But Chase records Crystal... He's just about to become a zombie at <laughs> taking the Bad Batch and has no effect. Eventually takes the last vial of her good stuff. And she he posts this online and this goes viral. It does lead to a weird conversation a bit later on where I think he's, he's trying to sneak outside. He's trying to sneak outside the lockdown and he's told to keep his head down and don't tell people who he is but he's actually in a video which has gone viral
0: it's basically meant to be his ticket out of there um at least that they think so at the time because by proving that this is the case then they can be escorted out of there and then jordan thinks this is going to happen but general Lyons says oh we checked where they were and they weren't there and that's when it kind of dawns on her that the military are not so good yeah I mean, just to
1: clarify, the big question mark, the big thing stopping people from being allowed out is they don't know why the Zombrex isn't working. They don't know if it's a Zombrex problem or if the virus has mutated and is immune to Zombrex. But Chase's video proves that it's just a particular batch of Zombrex. There is, uh, I think, a moment when our heroes are looking Across the street, and there's this young couple who appears, and one makes a break for it, and it goes all tits up and get eaten by zombies. But for some reason, they are a married
0: couple in real life. Okay. And I just thought that must be fun to film. The husband's trying to seek safety with the biker gang. Oh yeah. And she's like, "Don't, <laughs> you're, you're, not, you're not a biker gang." <laughs> and he says, "Hello, good sirs. <laughs> I wonder if you have a spare motorcycle for me and my wife."
1: Now that you've reminded me, that's exactly how I would be in an apocalypse. <laughs> I've always found Mad Max a terrifying film because, a, there doesn't seem to be any insulin, and being a diabetic, I don't it wouldn't last long. But b, I would um, I'd be as polite as possibly can, and then I'd end up with two crossbow bolts in my eyes.
0: First thing in an apocalyptic situation I'm going to do is book an appointment at the tattoo artist, to hmm. do some very scary things on my face. Yes,
1: here's uh, Kermit the Frog with vampire teeth. <laughs> <laughs> That's not normal.
0: I'll get out my um, fake muscle suit. Oh yes, I'd wear that with my fake my tat sleeve. I've only got a unicycle, is that
1: cool enough? <laughs> it's a motorised unicycle, would be cool, with flames coming out the backside. Ah, I
0: guess e-scooters are the thing nowadays. I hate e scooters so much. I like it. Is there like, has anyone been a
1: sale at the dickhead shop? Like, <laughs> how come everyone's got them? Do you remember when everyone had hoverboards? Exactly. Anyway, <laughs> I'm speaking for the youth of
0: the day. I'll just use my bladed fidget spinners. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm going to ride off on my snake boards, flipping <laughs> the birds to the max. A few things happen in this warehouse. It, long and the short of it is, though, Maggie hears... What we discover to be an animatronic animal toy, which says things like, Let's play a game. Will you be my friend? Very good impression. Um, she approaches a door which has been obviously barricaded with lots of bloody handprints. It's basically, all that's missing is dead inside. Don't go in from yeah. Walking Dead. She does anyway, and she sees a zombie inside who's a ballerina, as I mentioned. I didn't know if this was actually her daughter somehow, but you're telling me... She's just so grief-stricken. And uh, she just allows the zombie to come up to her and bite her. She doesn't even scream. And I like that choice. It really just show that she's just... She's accepted it. She's lost her mind a bit. She can't live without any girl. Yeah,
0: it <laughs> seems. Because up until that point, she'd always been referring to her daughter in the present tense, even though she had just killed her, mm. and still believing that she's out there. So, yeah, she's just... Grief-stricken, shell-shocked, and, uh, you know, sees this zombie girl and says, Mummy's here, and um, gets munched.
1: (laughs) She gets (laughs) monster-munched. Yeah. But she she bites, not the bullet, she gets bitten by the zombie. And what's his face? I think Chase, he loses a fight with Logan, and he finds himself tied up to a forklift truck. And there's another... Of tense little sequence when the zombies all coming towards him, you expect him to go on a fork truck meets zombie carmageddon But um, obviously, if he didn't have the budget for that, <laughs> but no, I tell a lie. He, it's it was just he's been watched by one of the henchmen, he who's very much enjoying having a flamethrower. He's just blowing it off. No one gets flamethrower in this film, but they did have a flamethrower, so <laughs> they well we've got to use it, and so he's he's having fun but Chase manages to escape by sort of using some of the gas tanks in the back of the forklift to make an explosion. And that fortuitously sends a knife right in the direction of a henchman and gets it right in the chest. And, you know, I think this film just exists on this slightly cartoonish level, so I allow it.
0: <laughs> it's good. <laughs> I don't know. I think, like, maybe the film has some slight tonal issues. And I think a little bit is to do with the sort of pacing because it is two hours and they are trying to tell this serious government conspiracy story. But then it's been, you know, you break it up with these asides with Frank West, which are done for comic effect. And then you do have these ludicrous zombie gags on top of it. But then you always have these heartfelt backstory characters trying to add depth. And I'm not sure the film quite manages this roller coaster of goofy wackiness and heartfelt, serious story. I think, you know, there's good stuff within those elements, but together it means that some stuff feels a bit off and some yeah. some of the character backstory stuff doesn't quite work because it's just not given, you know, maybe as much oomph as some of the other stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've reminded me that one of the other main events which happens in the henchman's base, in the biker's base, is... An attempted rape sequence, which uh, the Logan he does his speech I mentioned and when he starts trying to force himself onto Crystal. Meanwhile, I noticed his other henchman is playing I think Dead Rising three in the background. So, uh, but I can I can absolutely believe that in this universe somebody made a game as of the actual events of Dead Rising. So that was kind of cool, but you do watch an attempted rape sequence and you know you think "Mm." i'm not saying films should never include this but as you as you said it seemed like a slightly unnecessary bit Mm. in this story and the fact that crystal cleverly bites logan and as she is a, a zombie virus carrier she's thereby infected him that that was good, but I still didn't think it justified the slight ickiness that we got.
0: Yeah, considering that Logan is then swiftly afterwards bitten by Zombie Maggie.
1: Yeah, and it's like
0: think... if you you know if he's going to get bitten by a zombie, you've already got Zombie Maggie waiting in the wings to <laughs> to pounce on him and do that. You don't really need that little interlude with Crystal.
1: Mm. And I actually really enjoyed though once he had been bitten and he realised what you what a useless thing it is to have an empire of dodgy Zombrex if you actually get bitten by a zombie. So I like that, but then he gets bitten by Maggie, and I assume that was the last time we we're going to see him. But he, he shows up again. He suffers quite a lot of injuries, <laughs> and I'm assuming that's just because he is the big boss. Like in all video games, when the big boss has just more health for some reason.
0: Yes, I've reached my final four! yeah.
1: So he, he gets... My final but one form. <laughs> yes, at the in the final act, which takes place at the walls of the lockdown, he emerges having brought with him loads of zombies. And there is a more multi-tool shenanigans. There is a double chainsaw fight, which doesn't last particularly long. I, I did enjoy one of the weapons I think was... One end had like a spinning rotator shield type blade thing... At the other end like a tiny little broom it was like so (laughs) tiny that i thought that was a nice bit of sort of comedy there
0: uh chase and crystal are at the wall and yeah they've managed to equip themselves with garden supplies which you know very handily is mainly saw based i suppose this is what i did in let dead rising i just
1: grabbed whatever i could and knocked zombies on the head
0: (laughs) Logan has attached his C4 bomb to an axe, I think, uh, and he tosses it towards the gate to let the zombie hordes escape the city. But Chase throws it back, lodges him in his back. Crystal gets out of his hold. Mm -hmm. They run away and zombie Logan finally dies in a bloody explosion.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed the bomb because it had like an egg timer as its countdown timer. So you hear a little ding just before it goes. So that was a lot of fun.
0: Even though he's now a zombie in this state, so maybe he's still freshly turned and there's a little bit of brain capacity, but the look on his face just before he explodes seems to acknowledge a certain amount of awareness Mm. that this is a bomb, and you're gonna die. Or maybe just zombies are surprised by little pings, like microwaves ready. Ping. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, you know, they're used to. I'm just now imagining zombies having like ready meal brains. You have to bang, bang, bang. You have to like <laughs> pierce the film a few times, then microwave mm. for three minutes. Stir. Then have. Fresh. A... <laughs> um... Yeah, I think I'm just going to put it down to the fact that there's something inside him which means he's not turning right away. And of course, the moment he gets bitten by uh, uh, Crystal, his plan to be like the king of the zombie world has kind of fallen flat. So now he's just doing it for revenge purposes. But it's not quite the end of the film because, of course, there's this whole conspiracy we'll be talking about. And... Just going back to what I was saying at the start of this episode, the army wants to give everyone this Zombrex chip. And you have Frank West on the news saying, I don't want this chip. They're going to track you. And I have literally overheard conversations with with people talking at shops, how they don't want to use track and trace because they don't want to be traced. And... You know, they've been probably tweet about it, or they put it on Facebook, (laughs) and so that's how. I just feel that it's just crazy to think how this film made a few years ago. is it just really has its finger on the pulse of how the public would react to the government. And I'm not saying for a moment like the government's great, but I think it just captures that aspect of human nature extremely well. And so, ultimately, this chip gets activated in a bunch of people i think then uh dennis haber turns to camera and says project watchtower is now online and he's like oh this is why it's called watchtower
0: yes thanks for revealing the reason behind it in the last minute or two of yes. the film project title of the film is now active Ooh! But- yeah just it's a very strange title to know us thinking, oh, maybe they're talking about, like, the watchtowers on top of the border wall, so they can spot people going in and out of the city and evacuating, and it's just like, oh, no, it's because we have eyes everywhere because we've mm. implanted all the survivors.
1: I get them confused with water towers, so I was expecting anomaniacs and <laughs> things. Animani, totally insaney eat zombie brainy. <laughs> animaniacs. Um But still, you know, ooh. I, I think it's uh, sometimes these... These sort of teasers at the end of a film feel a bit cheap. I don't necessarily feel this is. I suppose I felt a bit more confident it was going to go somewhere because I knew there was a sequel going into this. But I think considering that Dennis Haber was sort of like the background villain and Logan was positioned as sort of the main challenge. I wouldn't say antagonist, because he shows up really late. But I feel that because our hero, effectively our our main hero, um, Chase, never physically met Dana Sabert, it would seem weird if they were like at loggerheads towards the end. So I'm quite happy with how this ended.
0: Yeah, like the the character of Chase, at the start, he's pretty cowardly. And, you know, he's... Going against, you know, ethical reasons and things like doing these investigations, secretly filming people, getting their zombrets administered, etc. I don't know whether he's, like, super evolved as a character. I think he sort of, like, learned a little bit of responsibility through his encounters with Crystal. And obviously, like, in the investigation he's doing at the same time with Jordan. He is pretty, he's pretty much an asshole to everyone he
1: meets. And so he gets a respect for the people he's with. Yeah.
0: And... Uh, I-, I liked how early on there's this whole thing between uh, Jordan and Chase about how, you know, digital media is the future, print media is dead, and she gives him a coin uh, and tells them to sort of basically buy a newspaper, paper newspaper, through one of those uh, vending machines. You know, neatly becomes something else later because Jordan gets sort of...
1: She gets arrested by the military police. And- yeah. At the last possible moment, she puts all her evidence in one of these newspaper boxes, including her phone, which he then ends up ringing. And you think, God, this really useful chase was right next to the <laughs> fucking newspaper box. Yeah, I as mean, the phone rang.
0: I guess a last ditch thing and just as well it worked out fine. Yeah. But I thought it was a it was a sweet little
1: I mean, one touch. Of, one of the other soldiers could have wanted a four day old newspaper or something <laughs> for I'll see what happened in the news. It doesn't mention the zombie outbreak. <laughs> That's weird.
0: But, uh, yeah. It ties I mean, up. Yeah, it all ties up if you or a loved one has been bitten the threat of infection can put your whole family at risk of serious injury and zombification but a bite doesn't have to change your whole life phenotrans is here to help with once daily zombrex the only medication proven to suppress the zombification process zombrex is not a cure for zombification and is intended for humans not zombified patients it should not be taken with alcohol and is not suited for pregnant women live your life without fear and as a human ask your doctor today if zombrex is right for you Project Watchtower is go. Crystal has had Chip implanted into her, so she's now going to be tracked to and begin the firebombing. The city is laid to waste, and in the sort of moments of the dying of the city of East Mission, we see Zombie Maggie with her zombie surrogate ballerina Mm -hmm. daughter looking at um, a giant big fireball coming their way and uh, being incinerated. It's lovely. Touching, it's beautiful. It's not like a, it's not a sunset. It's like nuclear firestorm. It's not nuclear.
1: Sorry, I apologise to the nuclear weapons community <laughs> and the firestorm community. I did wonder why they did it because I thought they have established that you that there's nothing wrong with Zombrex. So it was just this batch. But I don't know. Maybe they were halfway there. Maybe the planes were halfway there. They were like, well, be shame to shame to not use them now.
0: Well, it's military cover up. Because oh yeah, they explained it as the bad batch, Bernie. Jordan be like, has the full evidence. i feel
1: like, it would take me being led away in like a in a military death camp, and then you would say to me, Harry, you do realise this was a government conspiracy? I'm like, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> oh, I didn't realise were putting me in these sort of pajamas of arrows up and down them and things. I don't I'm just I was completely bloody clueless. <laughs> Um, I'm looking forward to feeding many, many zombies when the apocalypse happens. But, anyway, we are at the end of Dead Rising Watchtower. What are your final thoughts?
0: I think Dead Rising Watchtower has a lot more going for it than I thought it would. And I think, yes, it's a very stale subgenre. It is rare to find a zombie film that offers much in the way of surprises, particularly in the post-Dawn of the Dead remake, post-Jorn of the Dead, post-Resident Evil, whatever you want to call it, zombie glut that we have seen in the past 15-16 years. So I think Dead Rising Watchtower is maybe one of the stronger examples and may be better than at least a couple of the Resident Evil sequels, at least in terms of story and character and sometimes even direction. I think some of the stuff in Dead Rising Watchtower at its best looks far better than some of the stuff in some of the Resident Evil movies that they're kind of worse, even though obviously clearly there's quite a budgetary difference
1: I feel I prefer this right now speaking right now I feel like I prefer this to any of the Resident Evil movies we've covered so far because I feel the filmmakers really cared about the subject matter but they just didn't want to stop it there they wanted to give us just a little bit of a little bit extra and so yeah it's it's not breaking the mold in terms of content but it's just done with just a little bit more finesse a good camera work, good, good actors. You know, you again didn't know Virginia Madsen is such a chameleon but I didn't know it was she was playing a totally different blonde woman.
0: <laughs> um, All that being said, I don't think this film is great, and I still think in the grand video game movie canon, I would place this about average. It's throwing a lot of stuff and hoping some of it sticks. And, you know, it has a fairly good stick rate (laughs) in terms of... There's a lot of sticks
1: in it, but they usually have blades at either end.
0: Yeah, but, uh, yeah, so I, I think it's definitely, you know, better than I expected. And I give it a lot of credit for what it sets out to do. Doesn't always do that successfully, but, you know, kudos to Dead Rising Watchtower for trying to do something different with um, zombies for once.
1: I mean, for me to wrap it up, I actually think I I liked it a lot more than Rory. I actually harshly recommend it. It's still... I, I See, I hesitate to say dumb fun because it made me think a lot more than I thought it would. So I think if you saw a massive shelf of all the shitty zombie movies that you see and many that I have not seen, I think this definitely floats to the top of that pile of shitty zombie films um, and I can see a lot of people return for the next one so we'll see if it manages to continue that trend but for next time we have left uh, spooky month for a while where I'm sure it won't be too long until we meet some zombies again <laughs> but uh, what are we doing in November
0: we are marking the US presidential election by looking at a political satire from a master of his craft. It's Uwe Boll and it's postal.
1: Yeah, this is like a film I've been hesitant to cover, not because of quality. You know what you get with Uwe Boll, but you, uh, I, you know, as we've, we've sent this before, the video box has. George Bush skipping through a field with Osama bin Laden. (laughs) And the games themselves are quite provocative. So that is going to be an interesting discussion next time. But in the meantime, how can
0: people keep in touch with Games on Film? Games on Film is available online. Yes, this very podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, indeed, wherever you get your podcasts. So please like, rate, review, share, and subscribe. We've also got a website, gamesonfilm.witsite.comslash podcast, where you can find links to all the episodes as well as more information about video game movies in general. There's also on the website links to where you can support the show if you so choose to do so. We are on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at GamesOnFilmPod. Please follow us for details of our episodes as well as and movie news. Yeah, we post and share that stuff too. You can contact us by email, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com and we can also be reached individually on Twitter at Rory Steele for me. I'm at OnlyManWhoCan. And the music for Games on Film was composed by David Lightfoot.
1: Well, I think by the time we finish doing this podcast, we would have learnt everything we need to know about surviving a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> um... So, you know, I think we'll, we'll start a zombie survival podcast after this. Um, if you wanted to waste more of our time. <laughs> but We might have to. We might have to. But thank you very much for listening. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Take care. Bye. Bye.